Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are supposed to rule over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man also came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I ask God's blessing on the reading of his word. Who's the greatest athlete of all time? Who? Michael Jordan. You can't say Michael Jordan in Utah and <laughs> after Lance Armstrong. <laughs> for a while there, uh, Tiger, Tiger Woods was the highest paid athlete for a long time, huh? Golf. Is golf a sport? I don't know. Who did you? I didn't catch what, who you said, Nick. Usain Bolt. Okay, they're gold medalist in the Shoeless Joe Jackson, I think. He got rooked in Jim the... Thorpe. <laughs> Jim Thorpe. Oh, there you go. Nice. Who's the greatest actor of all time? Brando? John Wayne. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Tom Hanks. Anyone? Anyone? De Niro? How about uh, who's, the, uh, who's the greatest uh, singer of all time? Ooh, Aretha. Sinatra. Elvis? Anyone? Really? This isn't an Elvis crowd? <laughs> Neil Diamond? No! <laughs> Pavarotti. Oh, there you go. Nice. So, you know, we, we love the, the greatest folks. And, you know, Tiger Woods, greatest, uh, highest paid athlete. He could afford many homes and a big yacht. Had a model for a wife and partied behind her back on the big yacht and uh, ran into all kinds of trouble and athletes lance armstrong having some trouble these days uh having some difficulty let me ask you this who's the greatest garbage collector of all time anyone know his name 
<laughs> Who's the greatest waitress of all time? <laughs> Mom. <laughs> Who's the greatest public school teacher of all time? Your mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we all have our opinions, don't we? <laughs> Who who's the all right, the greatest Okay. <laughs> Jesus collected all of our garbage. Good answer. The answer is always Jesus, isn't it? <laughs> who's the greatest? Uh, who's the greatest? What I, I already said, trash collector. Who's the greatest cop? Who's the greatest fireman? Right? Who's the Who's the greatest DMV worker? There's an ungrateful job, right? They're working at the DMV. <laughs> awful! How awful! We don't, we don't tend to glorify... I mean, none of these folks are buying yachts and uh, cheating on their model wives, right? None of these folks are, are making gazillions. We, our society doesn't work that way. We don't lift up the people who are servants. We lift up uh, you know, the big celebrities who are beautiful. We lift up people who are talented, whether and not, I'm not saying they don't work hard. I'm, I'm sure it's hard, but you know what? Waiting tables is one of the hardest jobs in the world. Collecting trash is hard. Being a grocery clerk, all those numbers. How do they remember all those ner- numbers? It's amazing. Being a cop, being a fireman, being in the armed forces. We lift those folks up. It's a different. It's a different standard we have. Once again, another example of where the kingdom of God is so much different than the world that we live in. The world we live in does not admire servants. It does not give out awards for people who work a hard eight-hour day. Uh, except we did here in, for Carol, which is good. We give out awards. It does not laud those who work in the background to make our society work. Our world lifts up those who entertain. Our world lifts up those who make money. Our world lifts up those who fit what society deems as beautiful. And it's not so in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, those who are greatest must strive to become the least. Oh, this is, this is typical Jesus. Can't He just make it plain? Those who are greatest must be the least. I wish Jesus would talk just in simple language. Of course, the, the disciples here, they didn't get the memo either, and they're scrambling to get all the good seats. James and John saw in Jesus some greatness, and they put all their eggs in the Jesus basket, as it were, and they wanted to be next to that greatness. They were looking out for themselves and filled with a sense of ambition. They said, this Jesus guy's going places and I'm going to go with him. And if I work my angle right, maybe, maybe I can get the place of honor. And their ambition caused them to seek betterment for themselves. Not always a bad thing, except in the kingdom of God. They wanted that little edge that would set them apart. Like everybody, James and John were looking out for themselves. And this is the problem when they're trying to live out the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is different than our world. 
And this kind of selfishness just doesn't fit. Of course, James and John weren't alone in this. It seems to be part and parcel with what it is to be a human. Paul had to deal with this same selfishness in Corinth. People all looking out for themselves early in the church. Had they not heard what Jesus had to say? Paul had to deal with this when it came to the love feasts. See, back in the day, people didn't go to a big, nice building like this and worship. They went to people's homes and they shared the Word. They, shared, they read some of Paul's letters or they read some of the Scriptures from the Old Testament and talked about how it seemed to be pointing to Jesus. And then they shared a big meal together called a love feast. And this big meal was to honor and remember Christ. We do that, don't we? We call it communion. And it's not a big meal, but it is indeed a love feast. Amen? And we do share that experience. But Paul ran into this problem in that all the people were showing up for the love feast and they were chowing down and not leaving enough for the people who came late. And the real problem with this is is that the rich people weren't at work, so they got there early. And they sat around all day pontificating about Scripture and whatnot, and they got to the food first. So it was all the rich and the privileged who got to eat all of the food together, and then when the folks who were working in the fields and the folks who were working the the cash register of the grocery store and the folks who were collecting trash and the folks who were teaching children and the folks who were working the fire engines, when they finally got off work, they showed up and all the food was gone. This looks like the world we live in it doesn't look like the kingdom of god says paul this is what paul said about it for when the time comes to eat each of you goes ahead with your own supper and one goes hungry and another becomes drunk what do you not have homes to eat and drink in or do you show contempt for the church of god and humiliate those who have nothing so then my brothers and sisters when you come together to eat wait for one another See, they were trying this experiment of having rich and poor, young and old, men and women, slave and free, all worshiping together because they knew that's what the kingdom of God looked like. And yet when they tried, in crept the real world that we lived in and we still live in today. But Paul said, no, it can't be that way. You have to wait for one another. You can't humiliate those who have nothing, who have to work. It seems like there's something within us that seeks to be better than others. What is it about that? What is it, this constant competition? It is as, all, it is as if we can't really know our own self-worth until we compare it to the worth of someone else. Am I a better singer than them? Am I a better accountant than them? You know, where am I on the scale of what's good or what's not so good? And yet the hope of Christ is almost the exact opposite. It is not how much better than others we find. It's not in being better than others that we find our greatness, but in how we are one together. How we create a sense of equity. How we line it up so that no one person is better than the next. No one group of people are better than the next. How do we create that kind of equity where, where the, the 
introvert and the extrovert both feel affirmed and loved. Where the, the folks who have and the folks who have not come together. How do we make that happen? And when we achieve that, that's when greatness is accomplished. Amen. James and John were attempting to set themselves apart while Christ was trying to get people together. This is why it was important that Christianity open itself up to the Gentiles in the early church. Because it made no sense in the kingdom of God to have one group seeing themselves as better, as more blessed, as more holy, as more beloved of God, as God's favorite, over and against the other group. That made no sense in light of what Jesus taught. And so the disciples said, we need to open this up not just to our Jewish brothers and sisters, but to everybody. And so they went about do it, doing that. And it wasn't easy. Paul makes this case when he describes Christ in Christ, Jews and Gentiles coming together to form a new humanity. In Ephesians 2 it says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace. In His flesh He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances so that He might create in Himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the, Christ, through the cross, thus putting to death the, that hostility through it. In other words, Jesus has brought the two together on an equal plane. Neither is greater than the other. And this is the shame of what James and John are attempting to do. They're just going back to the same old, same old. Going back to the way of the world that kept James and John out. Told by the Pharisees and the Romans and the Jewish elite and the aristocracy that you don't belong. And then there's something within them that hoped that Jesus would somehow be the new aristocracy, the new elite. And somehow we'd throw in with that group. And then we'd be the ones on top. That's not a Christian value. And I think you can, you can tell that I, I might be talking about the first century Christian church, or I might be talking about the world we live in today. Because not a lot has changed, has it? We still find ourselves wrestling for who's going to be on top. We still find within ourselves this penchant for trying to see ourselves just a little bit better than the other person. And in fact, doesn't it feel good when we can be in the presence of those who aren't quite as good as we are. <laughs> Doesn't it feel good? Don't we feel, don't we feel mighty fine when we surround ourselves with those who are not as fine as we are? And I think that's a, an internal human instinct, isn't it? To want to just feel a little bit better, like we're okay. But Jesus is begging you and me, to look at ourselves and look at the world differently. To say your greatness comes from 
the virtue, by the by fact that you are born of God and beloved, so much was your worth as a human being and a child of God that Jesus is willing to die on a cross so that you would know how much God loves you. Jesus was willing to walk this earth and scream at the top of his lungs, the kingdom of God is different. And you belong there. And you are great in who you are and how you were created. So, James and John, stop being so selfish and self-absorbed. It's not getting you where you want to be. If you think you're great because of how you compare or stack up to someone else, here's the problem. There's always someone who's better than you. <laughs> and then you've got to get greater than they are. But there's always someone just a little bit better. I think I've told you this before. Uh, I still struggle to, be a, to sing in front of people. And it's, it's my own fault. It's because I could never see myself as a singer without comparing myself to Darren Hogan. Darren Hogan was one of my best friends growing up. And one of, he's a fantastic singer. And my vocal coach used to make us do competitions, which is an awful thing to do to a child. And we used to go and do competitions. And no matter how good I was, no matter how great I sung, Darren Hogan was always just one point better than me. Every time. Every time. <laughs> Made me so mad. And, you know, I was a pretty good singer, actually. <laughs> but I, I, I felt inadequate because I was comparing myself to Darren Hogan, who's always always, always going to sing just a little bit better than me. Just the way it is. And you know what? It's okay. He gives glory to God by singing, so do I. And I get to sing every week. All the time. Amen? No one's keeping me from doing it. <laughs> so James and John, just stop being so selfish and self-absorbed. Jesus offers us a remedy to this issue within ourselves. This instinct we have to compare ourselves. This instinct we have to try and be better. To be the greatest. If you are so ambitious and wish to be great, be great by serving others. And by others I don't mean the glamorous, the celebrity people. The pe we always scramble to serve them, right? Have you, have you ever seen people, people scramble around celebrities to to try and make them feel welcome, make them feel special. They already feel special. They don't need your charity. The poor people need your charity. That's who I'm talking about. Be great by putting others first. Especially those who never get put first. Be great at your own humility. Be great at looking to see the other guy gets the good seat first. Always look for the opportunity to lift up those who have been left out and shoved to the margins. Look for ways to exalt those in our society that are left out. If you would be great in God's kingdom, Scripture tells us you have to be the slave. They use that word, you must be the slave of all. 
Well, that isn't going to sell seats in the pews, I know. But that's what the kingdom of God is like. Because the remedy to our own selfishness and our own self-centeredness and our own self-absorption and our own self-focus is to turn that focus outward. And it's not to our own detriment, right? It's, it, in, a, in the kingdom of God, we're all trying to do that. We're, scrammed, we're tripping over each other saying, no, let me serve you. No, 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 let me serve you. Come on, I'll serve you. No, 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 let me serve you. Right? We're trying to, we're trying to outdo each other in serving. And wouldn't that be a great world to live in? Amen. Where we're, our greatness is directly tied to how we make others feel so exalted, so special, so important, so loved, so cared for served what an incredible gift that can be to this world we live in i'm reminded of a of a church i think it's in oregon a church that has a feeding program for homeless people and that in itself is not all that remarkable a lot of churches do that a lot of churches in our area do that we participate in programs that do that uh, what's remarkable about this place is that they go out of their way. They make it into an event. They have tablecloths and fresh flowers on the tables and, and linens and china. And they, they, they seat people. There's a maitre d' that seats the homeless people at the tables. And they serve them. They, you know, everyone takes turns being a waiter and they serve folks and they extend this incredible over-the-top hospitality to people who never get to experience that kind of hospitality in their daily life what an incredible gift taking servanthood to the extreme and saying i just want you to feel like you are loved and welcome and special servanthood has its rewards on both ends. And so I encourage you, as you start to feel selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed, Jesus gives us the remedy. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving God, we struggle with selfishness. We, we struggle with comparing ourselves to others. At times, we feel great. Look how much better off we are. At times, we feel inadequate when we look and we see someone better than ourselves. What a futile effort. What an awful waste of our spiritual energy. For You call us to be brothers and sisters one to another equal in the eyes of God, beloved in the kingdom of God. Help us when we feel that urge to compare, to turn that energy towards serving someone else, exalting someone else, lifting up someone else, and experiencing the benefits of humble servanthood. We ask all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord, our Savior, and friend. Amen.